This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is May 31st, 2021. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. My name is Steve Spencer. I was at Hofstra Radio, uh, WVHC, and then as it transitioned to WRHU from 1979 through 1980, I want to say 86, um, maybe 87 even. Um, and then I returned in different capacity uh, in 1992 through 1994. Okay. And what titles or positions did you hold at the radio station? Well, in, in that early um, swath of years, a whole variety of them. I began uh, as a drama critic, um, um, and that was my, my first job in radio proper. Uh, there's a story behind that I'll come back to. Uh, I worked also, not consistently, but I did uh, bits of journalism. I, I covered the 1980 Democratic National Convention. Um, I produced some documentaries. Uh, I was certainly a DJ uh, for, for, for quite a number of years. Um, and then later uh, also did an arts uh, and musical theater show that sort of brought together both the um, uh, the theater reviewing and other aspects of of uh, Broadway arts and entertainment. Okay, um, you mentioned DJing some shows. Do you remember any shows that you hosted or produced or engineered? Yeah, uh, I, I I never I never really engineered uh, any. Um, if I recall the name. If I recall the name correctly, uh, there was a program that I think went by the name of Roots Rock. Um, mm -hmm. uh, of course, in, in, you know, I've spent a lot of years since Hofstra in, in radio and since learned that an awful lot of the names we give to programs, particularly music DJ programs mean absolutely nothing to the audience at all. <laughs> it's just so it's just sort of an internal thing that, that we call it and nobody ever seems to remember it. The only the only show that I was a part of that did have a name that resonated uh, with audiences was the post-punk progressive pop party, which um, uh, later a lot of people just referred to as P5. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, a, 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 probably the most notable music program on the station in my era, simply because there was all of this music happening in the downtown um, Manhattan scene at that time, and and in uh, in Great Britain at the time. Um, and I and I needn't start ticking off names, but I mean there was just this, all this new music happening that was nowhere to be heard on American airwaves, hmm. anywhere. Um, it was just it was just foreign. And um, as I recall it, uh, WPIX um, radio in 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 Manhattan uh, for about ten months, I think, tried to do it. 
Uh, and they had something called the the Pix Penthouse Party. I think it was something like that. Um, and um, it didn't work because uh, they were trying to do it commercially. And within a couple of months after they stopped doing it, the post-punk progressive pop party went on the air. And I think it's minor claim to fame. <laughs> uh, it's a little footnote in history was in the Village Voices Paz and Jop poll mm-hmm. um, in 19, I think it was in 1980 and 81, VHC was voted the best radio station in the New York metro area because of that show and because of that music. Uh, later, uh, then there were, there were local, I don't want to say copycats, um, um, uh, WNYU in New York, um, within about a year or two thereafter, uh, they, they, uh, introduced a program called the new afternoon show, which, uh, you know, not to diss any of my colleagues at, at VHC, uh, but the one thing that the, the new afternoon show had all over us was they had a sound. Every single one of their DJs was trained in this rapid fire announcing style. Um, and, and they all did it. And they all did it really well for at least they sustained it for at least two or three years. Um, and they were, they were playing that music too. And of course they had the advantage of being right there in Manhattan. They had the disadvantage of having a very low, low power signal. And then of course, eventually the music spread outward to many other college stations, et cetera. Um, but, 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 but a lot of it never really permeated, never really got into the commercial, uh, music scene. I mean, even when WLIR started doing its thing, it still was not as deep as as, as the stuff that we were doing at the station there. So, so I, I prattle on about that show because that's that that was very meaningful for the station at the time. It was very meaningful to me. But those are the things I did. But mostly, I was you know my my my, my niche throughout all those years. My my major niche above above all the other things that I was doing was I remained a drama critic. Um, and I might as well tell you the story, uh, if you like, sure. sure. how I got the job was I started writing Broadway off Broadway drama criticism when I was in 10th grade. I started working for a local community newspaper and I did it because my older brother had had already been a drama critic for several years and he got to see all the shows for free Hmm. and i thought i'd like to do that (laughs) um and so um i i got a gig at at a local local paper and i was doing it as i say for several years but i'm a kid i'm a high school kid and this is before computers. This is before fax machines. This is before email. So I'm banging out my copy every week on a manual royal typewriter with carbon paper, um, folding it up, stuffing it in an envelope, and bicycling it down to the local newspaper office. So when I got into Hofstra, I thought, well, 
I've been doing this for several years. Maybe I can save myself some of the logistical hassle and write for the college newspaper. Mm -hmm. So I walked into the Hofstra Chronicle and I looked around and I think I'm, I spent all of 60 seconds just observing it. And I thought to myself, this is not the place for me because it just felt like a step backwards. Hmm. It, 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 it felt like, it felt like a decidedly student run affair. And I was already working for, you know, semi-professional press. And so I thought to myself, well, I like radio, you know, I, I listen to lots of radio and I know that the, campus has a radio station maybe i could maybe i could work at the radio station so i walked over to memorial hall where the offices of the station then were the station itself being on the other side of campus in the basement of the little theater and i went up the stairs and those who remember that office it was this big long rectangle of an office hmm. And I opened the door, and all of the desks are facing inward towards the, they're lining the windows on either side of this, the, the length of the rectangle, but they're all faced inward towards the center of the floor. And at the very end of, uh, uh, of, you know, the, the, if you walk the length of the office, only one desk was facing that door, and that was the desk of Jeff Krause. Mm -hmm. And on either side of him, the last two desks facing in was on, as, as I approached Jeff Krause, as I'm walking slowly and just, you know, taking in what's going on in this office. On the right side is the student station manager, Scott Cinnamon. On the left side is the student program director, Sue Zizza. Now, Scott was on the phone and looked like a very friendly, charming individual that, you know, I looked approachable, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. But he was on the phone. Jeff looked entirely unapproachable. <laughs> and 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 rather forbidding uh and he was sitting behind his desk uh uh pipe uh in mouth uh long before the days when the smoking was banned in offices and he's he's doing whatever he's doing but i just thought no nah, i don't think i can talk to him <laughs> and so i walked up to sue's desk and she was, you know, doing some paperwork or something. But I walked over, and I stood there for a half a moment. And she looked up, and she said, "Can I help you?" And I said, and I extended a hand. And I said, "Hi, I'm Steve Spencer. I'd like to be your new your new drama critic." And she looked up, and, and she cocked her head, and she said, "Huh, never had a drama critic before. Sure, why not?" And that's <laughs> and that's and that's how I got my first job in radio. <laughs> 
Uh, so they should all be so easy, right? Well, it should all be so easy, but um, uh, it was great. It was great. It was and and a, and a very welcoming place. So um, so that's how I, I how I began. I, I'm curious when you were uh, doing your criticism, did you have a pen name and on air name, or was it just? Uh, did you ever have a a, a a radio persona, or did you just use your own name? Just uh, just use my own name, Steve Spencer. Um, and, um, I, what I, what took me a while though, um, to work on. And when I say a while, years took me to work on one of the influences that I came under again, because I, you know, I was was at the station and I, I, I came up with, with Jeff and, number of the others who were at the station who were part of his coterie of, 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 of people who he had either trained, who had gone off uh, and were, were working professionally in, in Manhattan or other places, but frequently came back to the station. So you were, you know, you were always interacting with these people um, was I had a, I had a much more formal style uh, uh of, of reading copy and and announcing um, that that took me a long time to I'm choosing my words carefully because I'm not I don't want to diss it, it, it it's a style but uh, to lose it because mm-hmm. uh, you know I, I've spent you know, I wound up spending a career in public broadcasting. Where the, where the style is generally much more conversational. Um, um, sometimes in, in, the, in the NPR world, we call it uh, conversation plus, which is be natural, talk naturally. But of course, when you talk naturally, people go, uh, mm, or, uh. So it's conversation plus. It's talking like a normal human being the way you normally are, just without all, all those normal pauses and uh, 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 gaps that we, we leave in actual normal conversation. And it took me a while to just become me rather than Mr. Microphone. Hmm. So what you, you get to the station, you introduce yourself to Sue say, I want to be your drama critic. Uh, was there formal or informal training? I, I, I know you're alluding to, to working out your style and your on air sound, but, as you got there, did they say, well, we need to teach you how to do A, B, and C? Were there courses? Who maybe taught them if there were courses? I know, because um, now I'm really digging back in my memory, because back in those days, uh, if you were going to touch the equipment, if you were going to be behind a microphone and actually broadcasting yourself, not with the help of an engineer, uh, you had to have an engineering license, um, mm-hmm. and you know an FCC issued engineering license, and it wasn't hard to get, but you did need to go through a certain amount of training, just to know how to how to handle the equipment, you know, and what the rules were, and all the rest of it. So yes, I, I recall that there was some amount of formal training to get an engineer's license. Um, 
I don't remember precisely when it came. If memory serves, I probably, my, my earliest days on air probably was with the help of an engineer who would, who would record my criticisms and then do whatever editing was necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then later I, I learned to do that all myself. I was never a communication student. I was never a broadcasting student. So I never, I never sat in a formal class, um, you know, a, a, a university sanctioned class. Uh, so everything that I learned uh, was at the station with station people. Um, and that, that would have, would have included uh, Jeff. And that also would have included the fact that Jeff had a studio in his in the basement of his home um so as one became closer to him as as i and others did then we were often at the house uh Mm. and often in the basement studios doing something or another and if you weren't doing something or another you were just hanging out uh and observing you know him or or the people he was working with doing what they were doing and you were learning by osmosis um, so, so the things that I learned was a lot of it was, was not really from, as I said, there was some formal training, but most of it was, was through, through observation. For example, hmm. um, I, the first DJing, uh, shift that I had, um, was on Friday nights from, I want to say from eight to 11 o'clock, something like that. Um, the shift uh, was held by um, still a good buddy of mine, Chris Store. Uh, and I must have spent six or seven months every Friday night just riding shotgun, just, just sitting with him in the studio as he hosted the show. And so I watched what he did. Uh, you know, he, he showed me how he filled out the program logs and the engineering logs and, you know, took readings and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I just thought that that's the way I learned. And mm-hmm. then eventually when he left that, uh, that slot, I inherited it. Then I became the host of that. Um, so again, I, I don't, I don't, there wasn't a lot of formally formal training. It, it it came by, you know, it was sort of on the job training. You know, you you learn because you had to. Okay, so you mentioned earlier that the the office was upstairs in Memorial Hall, towards the back of the building. Does that mean that that was the time period when the studios were in the little theater? Is that yeah, that's correct. accurate. Yeah, that's correct. And so and so you know, Lord forbid, if uh, your shift was starting. And you were, you know, you were all the way over at the little theater and you forgot your headphones or something like that. And, and then you had to, you, you know, you either had to wing it, you know, and figure out how you were going to, you know, start the show and put on a cut that was long, long enough mm-hmm. so, so you could make a mad dash back to Memorial uh, to get whatever you left there. Um, uh, but yes, uh, so the, the, the administrative offices were on one side and the station was in the basement of the little theater. Yeah. Okay. Uh, about that time, I imagine a lot of people started as staff announcers, perhaps reading some news or, uh, PSA copy, things like that. But you mentioned that you were recording your 
uh, your drama uh, critiques in advance. Do you remember if that was the first time you were on the air or were you live on the air? And, and what was, what was the process of, of doing either? I, I, I honestly cannot remember the first, the very first criticism I did on air. Mm-hmm. What I can tell you is I, I would sincerely doubt that I would have done it live or that they even would have let me do it live right out, right out of the bat because mm-hmm. I because I, I had no experience of being on the air I had no experience being behind a microphone um, so I, I would dare say that the, the first several times uh, were were recorded and and edited um, and and the learning process there as well by the way was I also had to learn, how to sharpen my writing style because writing for radio is is a different animal than than writing for for the eye. Sure. Uh, write, writing for the ear is a different thing, and and you also you know you're you're governed by the clock. So uh, you know if I had a had a criticism, you know they gave me ninety seconds, and you had to make sure that you could fit ninety seconds, and and that's that. So. Um, uh, that that made me a better writer. And so you walked in and met Sue as a freshman. And I, if you don't remember exactly, that's fine. But were you still a freshman? Was it within a first uh, month or two that you got your first recordings on air? Well, I was, I was definitely a freshman. Um, and and when I walked into the station, it was the if, again, if memory serves, it was the first. It was either the first full day of classes or the first full day of of registration for classes, something like that. Hmm. Um, and but since I can't remember when the first criticism went on the air, I can tell you this much: is again, I had been doing this for three years, um, and. I, I had gotten to the place where I, I don't know how it's handled these days by the by the New York um, uh, League of, of, of Theaters and Producers, but back then um, the press agencies that hand <clears throat> that handled the press for all the different Broadway and off Broadway shows they maintained a unified list um, which was known as the first night list and then they had a second night list and a third night list and what that means is the first night list is when a show opens the day a show opens on broadway or off broadway the critics who are writing for major daily newspapers where the next day after after something opens you'll see the review for it Mm -hmm. that's the first night press and so those are the the critics uh, and usually the big, big, big name critics, those are the ones who get in that first opening night. The second night critics means it doesn't literally mean the day after a show opens. It just means usually it means within a few days after it opens, because these critics are writing for weeklies. They're writing for magazines. They're writing for radio and television stations that don't do necessarily overnight reviews, things like that. And then the third night critics 
were are the tertiary critics, the ones writing for like I was, the community newspapers and, you know, things like that. Mm. Um, uh, and so I had, you know, I had a reputation <clears throat> that I was, you know, I wasn't just reviewing shows once in a while or the big shows because those were the most interesting. I was essentially being a journeyman critic, which is I went to all the shows good, bad, or indifferent, and I reviewed them. So uh, I'm telling you this because there wouldn't have been a gap in my reviewing, meaning mm. I walked in, said, I'd like to be your drama critic. Sue said, sure, why not? And I'm quite sure that I was on the air within a month. Okay. Wow. That's that's impressive. So did you, uh, again, without being specific about dates, do you, do you recall a time where you felt comfortable doing these things in radio terms or felt comfortable at the station? Was it some, for some people it's right away for other people, it takes a little bit longer. When did you get a, a sense of being comfortable of being accepted of, of being uh, cognizant that this was a place you wanted to spend, you know, a lot of time. I honestly can't recall a time when I wasn't comfortable at the station. I think I think it's I think it's just one of those experiences in life. It's like I said, I when I walked into the Hofstra Chronicle, I walked in, I walked out. Yeah, it just it, I just had you know I just had a, a viscerally I just had this vibe like nah, this is not the place for me, and and walking into the station, you know. Like I said, you know, but Jeff seemed a little foreboding, but I mean, there was nothing off-putting about the place, uh, quite the contrary. And Sue was so welcoming that, you know, one thing, one thing after another fell into place. Um, and so much so that, you know, when we can get to this later is I was never a graduate of Hofstra. Uh, you know, I, I my, my Hofstra story as a student is, is a different story. And, and the reason it ended is a different story. But I spent years and years and years at that station, way beyond the years that I was formal student at Hofstra. And, uh, uh, and that's testament to a lot of things about what that station was at the time. It's community presence. Uh, it's sense of itself. Jeff, uh, a lot of things, and and so it was it was always a welcoming place to me, and 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 I guess so much so that that was part of what contributed to, if you please, the death of my Hofstra student career, because I wound up spending more time at the station than than, than I did <laughs> doing than I did doing the coursework that I probably should have been doing. Because I was learning something at the station that obviously eventually became my career. So, you know, at least on that level, I guess I was doing something right. But but it was always a welcoming place. I can't recall any moment when when I when I you know when I felt like oh now I feel accepted or oh now I'm comfortable. I, I think I, I felt comfortable from 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 the moment said sure why not. <laughs> You've mentioned a number of people, Jeff Krause, Suzeza, Scott Cinnamon, uh, Chris Stores. Who are the people who were helpful as you were getting started? Who were the people who gave you a guiding hand and said, 
try this, try that, or, or just invited you in and said, you know, let's, let's see what you can do. Well, I, I really do have to say, you know, Jeff, uh, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to carve Jeff into, into granite. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but, but Jeff was, you know, was clearly a, 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 a towering kind of presence, you know, you know, his, his, his personality and his attitude. I, I can barely put it into words. It's one of those things that it's always present without it ever needing to be spoken. Mm. And what I mean by that is that there's a lot of things that I learned from Jeff, not because I spent hours and hours and hours with him or observing him or what have you. I did that too. But a lot of things was by what he didn't do, by the things that he didn't interfere with, by the things that he gave you the freedom to experiment with. Um, and creating that space, creating that station in the way that it functioned gave people like me an opportunity to to feel their way in the business to feel their way as uh as a radio professional or as a budding radio professional hmm. um you know sometimes my memories of jeff are just are just the stupidest little things uh, i i remember one day i was sitting in the studio editing something and I had the volume in my in my cans turned way way up and I'm working and all of a sudden I have this sense that there's somebody standing behind me mm-hmm. and so I turned so I half turned my head and it's Jeff he's just standing over me he isn't saying anything he's just standing there and so I you know, sort of pulled at the can, you know, from, from my, my left ear, you know, and I, I, I don't even think I said anything. And I just kind of looked at him like, you know, did he want to, you know, did you need me? Did you want to say something? And he just said, you're going to make yourself deaf someday doing that. <laughs> and he walked away and he walked away. <laughs> and I mean, it, it's, it's the stupidest, silliest little story and he said this what forty years ago forty and and his 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 voice in my head still resonates every time I turn up the volume too loud in my headset mm. <laughs> i as you were talking about that i the the word tone kept bouncing around in my head not not just necessarily the tone of his voice which obviously is is quite memorable but the tone of the station of the interactions of the expectations i feel like he sort of set that tone and led everybody that way does that sound yeah i think that i think that's quite right i think that's quite right because because i i i i 
I don't recall at all, you know, Jeff behaving in, in any kind of authoritarian way or, or it must be this way and it must be that way. A tone was set and, an, and a set of expectations were set for, for, you know, how things ought to be. And within those parameters, as long as you were functioning within those parameters, go ahead, experiment, play, hmm. uh, create, uh, you know, you know, do something new if you can find your way to do something new. Um, and, 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 and that was there. And I mean, there's, there's just, there's, there's, there's a great freedom to that. And, and there's, there's, I, I think there's, there's a lot to be said about that style um, fostering opportunity for the people who experience it. And I'm not just talking about at that station or Jeff and, you know, that moment mm. I'm talking about in, in any business. I, I think that, you know, there's a lot to be said for, for, you know, for, for functioning in, in those relative ways that it gives people an opportunity to, 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 to branch out where, 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 where their creativity is best, um, is best able to flourish because, you know, something, as I, as I told you, one of the things that I learned later on was, oh, I don't have to be like Jeff. I, I don't have to announce in the style of the people he grew up with and the style that he was accustomed to and the way that when he got behind a microphone, he announced, I could do something else. Um, and, and, and realizing that, that freedom, you know, allowed me to, to, to flex my muscles in different directions. So, yeah, yeah. Hmm. We have the benefit of hindsight and obviously your career to look back and say, this is what Hofstra Radio did for me, meant for me, and, and the things that I, I learned along the way. Uh, what I try to ask at this point, uh, it's hard to do. But I'm going to ask anyway, it's as, as an 18 year old, as a, as a freshman walking into that station and you alluded to this, but if you can put yourself in your shoes at that age, walking in, what did you hope the radio station would be for you? I don't think, I don't think it's an answerable question. At least it's not for me hmm. because at that age, I had no notion, nor did I have any particular compelling desire to, to seek out a career in radio or in broadcasting. It, it wasn't on my radar. Uh, walking into the station was a means to an end which was, as I said, you know, you're banging out copy on a, on a manual typewriter and bicycling it a few miles, you know, to, mm -hmm. to, to, to an office as well, you know, save yourself the trouble and, you know, just do it, you know, be right on campus. So it was a means to an end to keep doing the drama criticism I was doing uh, and, 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 and save some time. 
as I spent time doing other things, simply because, you, you know, you hang out at that station, at least in that era. Mm-hmm. Look, I, I started as a drama critic. I didn't intend to be. The next job I had was as a DJ. I was a drama critic and a DJ. I was a drama critic and a DJ and a journalist. I was a drama critic and a DJ and a journalist and, and you know, the, doing radio drama. I was, you know, I was wearing many, many different hats as the years went by. Um, and, of, of course, not all at the same time, you know, depends on the need, depends on what was happening. You know, uh, somebody, you know, Jeff or Sue or whomever, they were they were producing a radio drama. Would you like to play this part? Okay, I'll play that part. Would you like to do this? Would you like to do that? These opportunities just sort of came up. I don't even remember uh, how I first met Chris Store, um, but I'm sure Chris was hanging out out in the office one day, and somehow or another, a conversation struck up, and we became friendly with one another. And I'm sure he must have said, "Well, why don't you come down to the station Friday night when I'm doing my shift?" One thing led to another thing, led to another thing, led to another thing. So when you ask a question like, what expectations did I have or what was I hoping? I was hoping for a means to an end. These other things happened incidentally along the way. And, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's like the John Lennon line, you know, life is what happens while you're busy making other plans. Steve, this has been a... a, a... Tremendously interesting and fun conversation, and I I feel like we've just scratched the surface on uh, your Hofstra Radio stories. And I'm going to come up with more questions, and uh, I would I would love to do this again sometime. Sure, sure. You just tell me when, and we'll we'll try and organize it.